Please listen carefully. And welcome in, everyone. It's another episode of the Heard It Here podcast. Y'all know what it is. I'm your host, Cooper Heard. It is a pleasure to have you in today. I wanted to talk about a special statement put out by the NCAA recently regarding student-athletes using their likeness for benefit. This statement did not come under their volition, to put it lightly. California, a couple of weeks ago, announced monumental legislation that would over overrule, uh, sort of sort of step over the NCAA's, I mean, the NCAA isn't a legal governing body. They are a, an agreement that schools are locked into. It is legally binding, yes, but it is not a legal governing body well this california legislature ruled that players would be able to use their likeness image in 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 their in its entirety and very soon after i believe about a dozen states including my home state south carolina on the cutting edge joined in the movement and once again so i think the nca at first just ignored the problem i think their initial reaction was just to sort of threaten that california schools would not be uh, allowed to play in sporting events so that's a little preposterous preposterous i would say you're pretty much saying half the pac-12 you're just sort of eliminating from NCAA competition right there. I I think most likely what would have happened is these California schools would have just said, all right, we understand, we're just not gonna do it. Because it wouldn't have been worth it if it was just the one state that their stand, I don't know if it would have gone recognized. But once this other dozen or so states jumped in, I mean, what, are you going to tell? So I I think it's underrated. Uh, You know, I guess I'm actually just now realizing this. A big part of why South Carolina getting in is so so important is that Clemson is involved. And and USC, uh, South Carolina, to an extent, um, obviously Clemson to a much more just a much more critical extent, but that's fine, you know, each school, uh, all schools matter, as they say, oof, oof, okay, I'm just gonna go ahead and move on to the statement put out by the NCAA, so the opening paragraph was sort of the one I would imagine was like tweeted out, that was sort of, that was the meat of the announcement, that was sort of laid the stage, a couple of quotes that I thought were really interesting from it is that it granted, so I guess from top to bottom, the phrase benefit from the use of, so they did not say profit off of, they did not say benefit financially from, It is a little bit peculiar that that is the phrase they used, benefit from the use of. I mean, obviously it's kept vague because it's a legal document and the NCAA wants as much power as they can. Whether that becomes a problem or not, we'll see. It's a little weird the way they phrase that. This, not necessarily weird, just worth quoting. Um, the, The following phrase is, benefit from the use of the player's quote name image and likeness so i believe that's uh, that that phrase likeness is the one i would very 
uh, I, I'd be very interested to hear more about from someone that knows more, more than I. I'm very curious as to what entails a person's likeness. Obviously, that goes beyond a person's name and their image, which I assume is their physical appearance. So what does that mean, their likeness? Does that mean, like, quotes by them? Does that mean you can simulate their, like, you or you, like, you... <laughs> I was going to say simulate their emotions, not like in a creepy way, like put them in a video game, have their personality like in the game, whatever, emulating them as a character. Actually, you know, obviously the biggest takeaway from this has been that there's probably going to be NCAA college football video games going forward. Obviously, I'm going to play all of them like don't get me wrong but i thought there was a lot more to dig into that i i don't really so once they announce the game heck yeah i'm gonna be looking into it but i'm not i'm i'm not gonna talk about that right now because there's way more to talk about this is an incredibly interesting story um this will not be the only podcast i do on this this is going to be the biggest story in sports for the next half decade i i would imagine could be more could be longer the last quote i wanted to mention from this opening paragraph this this benefit that players can gain from their name image and likeness it, it, it is to be done quote in a manner consistent with the collegiate model once again no idea what that means i would be very curious to find out though i have no doubt we will very soon i don't have any particularly strong conjecture as to what that would entail that just to me sounds like it's saying we're making our own rule book for this as far as i can tell that's the only the only real statement they're making here i'll move on though now so the second paragraph only thing that really this this paragraph was just about the fact that they are immediately asking the NCAA's three divisions to begin considering updates to relevant bylaws. This is a quote from the article, and policies for the 21st century. So it's just saying he wants them to immediately start considering these updates, these new rules, which makes sense because they are competing against the lawmakers in terms of time. They have some like fluff paragraph about, we embrace the the best for athletes, yada, yada. Um, Specifically, Sorry, this is a quote from the article. Specifically, the board said modernization should occur within the following principles and guidelines. Uh, And they have a list of, uh, as they call them, principles and guidelines that they would like to use in creating the rules and regulations around sponsorships and finances around selling and marketing a player's likeness. This list, I thought it was very insightful. This is definitely the most insightful part of the article. Interesting that they had already thought it out. Some of these were definitely, there were a couple of just fluff bullets, but I mean, it was mostly very, I thought, well thought out responses to what was going on or what was going to occur to 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 be more accurate so the first bullet was sort of talking about uh how how the ncaa was going to assure student athletes uh, this is a quote assure student athletes are treated similarly to non-athlete students unless a compelling reason exists to differentiate so right off the bat (laughs) i don't know what that means that sounds super sketchy so we'll see what this quote unless a compelling reason to exist to differentiate ends up being but i could very much see that being so for my nba fans out there the there is chris paul was traded from new orleans to the clippers about maybe a decade ago and initially the then commissioner david stern 
So initially he was to be traded to the L.A. Lakers rather than the L.A. Clippers. Uh, Commissioner David Stern, who was the um, pseudo-owner of the Pelicans because their uh, owner was no longer with the organization, he vetoed the the trade for, quote, basketball reasons. Point of that, I could easily see, quote, compelling reason being exactly like that. Like this memeable quote, basketball reasons. It's like, oh, why did this transaction happen? Oh, you know, basketball reasons. Oh, why did the league office make this dumb move? Oh, you know, basketball reasons. This era of the NCAA could easily be defined with, oh, why did the NCAA not allow this player to get this sponsorship? You know, compelling reasons. Oh, why did the NCAA force this kid to go pro after three years, even though he wanted to return for a fourth? You know, compelling reasons. It's just going to be, we will see. I just thought that was a very interesting way to start off. I, I don't know. Thought that the, it, it just sounds very sketchy to me. Uh, second bowl, is a, it's a non-statement. It's something about maintaining priorities of education and the collegiate experience. Uh, yeah, whatever. The third point, ensure, this is a quote, ensure rules are transparent, focused, and enforceable, and facilitate fair and balanced competition. It's pretty standard. Nothing really groundbreaking there, but I thought it was, you know, the words they use, transparent, focused, enforceable. I think those are very, um, those are very good things to, to strive for. I very much enjoy the way they phrase that. Transparent is a great start. Enforceable. Also, I have a, uh, the, the idea that, uh, so I guess it's just a very big, uh, major pet peeve of mine when organizations and legislatures create these laws that they can't enforce. Again, my NBA fans out there, y'all know how much of a joke all this sort of, you can't negotiate with a, pl- uh, a player that is bound to be a free agent until their contract is actually expired. That's a joke. It's, it's a, it's a farce. You know, it does not happen. So I I would be very happy to see them actually create enforceable rules. Whether or not the NCAA actually does that is a completely another, uh, a a whole another question. And not one that I'm going to answer at this point because I don't think I need to answer that. I think y'all would, uh, y'all can piece together what I think they are going to do with their rules next point quote make clear the distinction between collegiate and professional opportunities this one was interesting make clear the distinction between college and professional opportunities so what this means to me is that you can't sign a shoe deal when you're 19 and you're a freshman at clemson and have that shoe deal run for 12 years you know, through the prime of your professional contract. I, th- I think that's the main thing they want to avoid with this policy, I guess, this guideline. I think this is, this is a pretty, a pretty telling thing. I think one of their biggest, I think one of their biggest things is going to be trying to, I, I'll be curious to see, does this, I mean, players still probably aren't going to have agents, right? Are you going to have to have a college agent and then a pro agent? What's that going to be like? Are you just going to be able to have an agent? Like, is your, because your agent's not really just going to talk to you about college sponsorships. He's going to talk to you about the draft. He's going to be looking towards your professional career because that's obviously what he, that's where he's going to get the most of his money because that's where you're going to get most of your money. Agents make a lot of money off of players that are really, Trevor Lawrence's uh, agent could make several million dollars 
if he stays with Trevor Lawrence his entire career. I mean, come on, man. Like, this. so I think what this, it, this just leads me to believe they're really going to restrict how long these sponsorships last. I bet it'll be like a yearly or maybe, maybe it'll be like the duration of your career, your college career. I think they're going to crack down very hard on people trying to give out um, any payments before or after you come on campus. I think that's going to be a big thing. The next bullet is another big one. Make clear that compensation for athletic performance or participation is impermissible. So this one was a little confusing to me at first. You're saying you're saying compensation for athletic performance or participation is impermissible. So you're saying I can't pay you for playing football. At first, I, I think when I put it like that, I think it's just saying you can't like pay players a salary for playing games. Like you don't get a per diem per game. You know, I mean, already players get a, a very marginal salary, but they do get a salary, you know, of at major power five football programs, at least. I, I think this is just saying, yeah, you can't be like, hey, we'll give you a hundred grand per sack. So I think that again is a pretty reasonable, I, I think that's a pretty reasonable rule that they're making. I don't know. I And that one seems pretty difficult to stretch in. I don't want to say evil, but you know, it's the NCAA. So I don't see it being a way, uh, a rule that they can really stretch to take anything away from student athletes. So that's good. Yeah, that's good. Next one, reaffirm that student-athletes are students first and not employees of the university. Whatever. Just, you know, don't pay them to play football. I, I think the biggest thing here is that the schools are not going to be providing money. The sponsorships are going to come from third parties. That's, And I think that that is... So, and I, I guess I, I am interested, uh, if y'all want, give me some feedback. Like, what sort of do you think, or I guess, what do you expect out of this rule? Because to me, I think this is just going to be, you know, a set number of sponsorship. I don't, I, so I guess the biggest thing, I don't think this is going to lead to just paying players outright salaries or you know, just the collapse of the NCAA, as I think some people might think. I think this is just sort of the next 10, 15, 20-year step. I, I think this is going to take a long time to iron out. So I'm interested to hear, like, what, what sort of, what do y'all think about this rule? The fact that they are sort of putting out there that they, they, they want these guys to still be students and not employees means to me that they are really against paying players for what they do on the field in terms of I, I, I think they really want to avoid salary salaried players and the collegiate level and I think they also want to avoid like you know a thousand bucks per sack stuff like that they, they can't be having you know stuff like that go on that's and I mean even in the long run, I don't really know if that is a strategy that makes sense. Like play, play, uh, paying guys a salary, maybe, yeah. But the idea of just like paying guys per touchdown or per sack, like that. So I, I think the reason I'm bringing that up is because that would absolutely happen if there was no regulation against it. I don't know if y'all think that 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 would happen. 
I guarantee you. And I think this is just their, their way to sort of curb that. Let me just hit the last two bullet points. Enhance principles of diversity, inclusion, and gender equity. It's nice. Not really related to the point, but it's nice. And the last bullet, quote, protect the recruiting environment and prohibit inducements to select, remain at, or transfer to a specific institution. So they ended with a bombshell. Not a bombshell, but definitely an interesting one. Um, I thought the, the, quote, prohibit inducements... I think the biggest takeaway from that, I think they're going to, so um, me and my dad talked about this earlier and he brought up the idea of, are you going to be able to offer guys like sponsorships and, and or, or be able to uh, in some way financially compensate a player when he's like a junior in high school, like in a recruiting effort. And I think this bullet point to me says no. They are going to really crack down on any type of payment that could be construed as a an attempt at recruitment. I think it's going to be you can't get money from anybody associated with a school or that has ties to a school or that is indirectly influenced by a school until you are on campus, enrolled in school. So... Uh, one idea I'm going to talk about a little bit later that I think could come out of that is the idea that you, so, I mean, yeah, you can't salary players, but what about the idea of, like, a signing bonus? Not a signing bonus, you know, um, in the prototypical terms of you sign the contract, you get the money, it, but but in terms of the second you step on campus when you're enrolled in school, you get $50,000 transferred into your bank account. That seems doable. And I could absolutely see that being within the rules that the NCAA sets up, at least early on. I bet you there's going to be lots and lots of... It'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see, does the NCAA try to over-regulate it or do they under-regulate it first and try to add more laws on? You know, and I, I'm almost through this article, so I don't want to start talking about it, um, but I think the biggest thing is going to be which of these regulations are made at the federal or state level and which it's, what's going to be the NCAA making the rules. Uh, let, me, let me hit the rest of this article, though. Da, 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 recommendations from the governor, federal, and state legislation working group, blah, 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 whatever. Um, biggest thing in the rest of this, two things. So they are going to be gathering feedback through April on how to respond to the state and federal legislative environment. That's a quote from the article. That's very interesting. So that sounds to me like they are trying to see, <laughs> they're, they're, they, they sort of understand their spot in the pecking order. So to speak, they are waiting to take their cues from the legislative department, sort of see what they regulate and see what they leave for the NCAA um, as scraps to regulate themselves. Um, but they, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, they did tell their three departments to begin working on creating new rules and regulations ASAP. Um, but they did set a date um to have these rules in no later than January 2021. So their deadline, January 2021, to have these rules and regulations uh, ready to go. So 
thought this was very interesting. Oh, and, and there's a last quote in there by the NCAA president, Mark Emmert. Quote, the board's action today creates a path to enhance opportunities for student athletes while ensuring they compete against students and not professionals. So interesting line there. Their sort of incessance on using the term students and sort of demonizing the term professionals uh, is a little creepy to me. It kind of reminds me of like, actually, I don't even want to go there. I'm just going to move on. Uh, (laughs) Here's some of the questions and observations I had while thinking about or going through this article uh, after reading it, sort of thinking about it. First of all, how's it going to work? I think this is just kind of a basic one. How's it going to work? Which ties really into the main question. Again, I mentioned it earlier. Will the regulations mainly be decided by the NCAA or the government? What regulations will the NCAA have the freedom to instill? What regulations will the government themselves instill? Will they outline specifically what the NCAA gets to do? Will the NCAA have sort of loopholes themselves to exploit? It'll be very interesting, very interesting to see. In terms of just how it looks the first year, I can't even fathom it right now. It can't be that far away though. We'll see it soon, but I can't even, it's just not, it has not been a real discussion yet, which I think is bizarre. There's been so much discussion of just quote paying players, yet nobody has really established a model and thought out how we do this. And that's that's a bit stereotypical. There are certainly individuals who have thought this out, but they aren't the ones on ESPN every day. They aren't the ones getting the most air. They're the ones I've heard speak. So I would be very interested to see how the NCAA goes about this because I really don't know. It's something I'm very interested in, and I, I certainly hope I could do some sort of research on my own. I'm not even sure really where to start, but it's something I'm going to be thinking about a ton. Again, I want to talk about it more on the podcast later. More questions about it, though. Again, how many of these uh, limitations will or even can the NCAA impose? Obviously, limitations have always been the NCAA's strong suit. Um, They love taking stuff away. Are they going to have like spending caps, like a max that you can spend overall as an institution, a max that you can spend per sponsorship, maybe a max that a player can receive from sponsorships. And then obviously like the number of sponsorships that you have, like how many can be offered per player, per organization. One thing that I sort of thought of while sort of thinking about uh, whether they're going to limit these sponsorships you just know that the NCAA is going to try to take away number of sponsorships a school has as a punishment for violating rules. It's the same thing that taking away scholarships is doing. It's the same exact thing. The only difference is the sponsorships are probably hurting kids that are going to be okay because they're probably going to go pro anyways. Taking away scholarships is way worse. You're taking away a kid's chance at an education at a great institution. Probably they have a fallback, but Jesus, like it's, I mean, it's, I think it's significantly more immoral. And obviously, it's not the NCAA's job to take away scholarships. That's Bobby Petrino's job. 
So they need to step off and let the king of scandal do his thing. All right, moving on. Very interesting to see which teams and which players are going to benefit the most from the sponsorships. I think the biggest line of thought with the teams has been the teams with the golden cows um, are going to really succeed. So when I say that, I mean teams with a couple or just a single donor with just an enormous amount of wealth that has historically donated a substantial amount of money in large sums. So namely, I mean teams like Oregon with Phil Knight as its uh, golden cow donor. You got an organization like the University of Washington with Bill Gates as its alumnus. Tim Cook graduated from Auburn. Tim Cook. Heck, can you imagine if Cam Newton was on the market in 2020 and they were allowed to offer sponsorships and Tim Cook was on board? Imagine how much money Charles Barkley would give to get the next Cam Newton. Woo! That's going to be fun. <laughs> That's, we need, like, a reality show on, like, them bidding for these players. We need, like, a Shark Tank type thing. All right. Uh, last last example I had, actually a couple more. Arkansas with the, uh, the Walton Estate. Walton Estate Walmart, obviously, um, based out of Arkansas. Another interesting one to consider, what about a school like Davidson? What about Steph Curry? Steph Curry is going to have made, over the course of his career, over two or three hundred million dollars. I, I need to sit down and look at the numbers, but I, I believe he will have made somewhere in the range of three hundred million dollars. Um, and he has not even been making as much money as these guys that. So I think a guy like LeBron has certainly made more money. It's just that he was so. So the um, inflation in the NBA just means that a guy. 15 years later into his career is going to have made less money earlier in his career than a guy who's now starting his career. That guy starting his career now is going to go on to make a lot more money. But there's also been a lot of new rules in the NBA that have allowed players to, these top tier players with this Supermax contract that allows them to make a ton of money. I'm talking about Five-year contracts worth $200 million, $250 million. In the next couple of years, these contracts are going to be getting up to like $250 million. It's generational wealth upon generational wealth. And I think certainly Davidson could get a $20 million check from Steph Curry, and it would not really hurt him. Yes, it would be a, a substantial investment. I'm sure he would be going to, to Davidson games, but... You put twenty mil. You put you put twenty mil in. Like, yeah, you can land a five star. I would imagine. Like, I don't exactly know the economics of, you know, <laughs> paying for a player, but I think like that's And I think especially you got to imagine as a player, as a guy like Steph Curry, it's got to be a lot more rewarding to give money straight to a young basketball player like yourself, especially if you were somebody who did not come from a well-off background and you struggled in college, you know what it's like. Yeah, you're going to want to give... You have the opportunity now to give money directly to the player rather than give it indirectly to the football program. Yeah, that's nice. They have a great weight room. They have great nutritionists. 
But to give money straight to the player, like that could be going to his family. That could be going to his daughter. Like that could be going to something way more important than like getting a nicer weight room. So I think, yeah, players could be very induced to give now that they are able to give straight to the player. I think that's just going to be... I don't know if that's something anyone's really ever talked about before, but I think that could certainly be... We could see a large influx former and current professional players, especially these top-line NBA and, to some extent, MLB and NFL players, giving back to their university in ways... Uh, to the athletic department, sort of, to be used for these sponsorships and whatnot. I think the last organization or sort of set of organizations that I wanted to mention that could certainly benefit from the new sponsorship rules, Ivy League teams. We don't really hear anything about Ivy League teams except for once every five or ten years when one makes it into this, the March Madness tournament and wins as a 14 seed. But these Ivy League schools have a ton of money. I mean, Harvard, I believe, Harvard probably gets more donations than any school in the country. Maybe up there is like Stanford. But, I mean, come on. These schools have so much money and an exorbitant amount of money. Why wouldn't they put some of it into, I think, football will come second and maybe a distant second, especially in the more minor Ivy League schools? Why would you not put a million dollars into your basketball sponsorship fund, though? Like, they get $300 million in a single donation. They don't even need it. They've been running as a prestigious university for 150 years. They're going to be fine without that extra million dollars that goes towards sponsoring basketball players so you can field an awesome team. I think that would absolutely be profitable. I think they'll quickly realize that too. So I am very interested to see, does Princeton? I believe my dad actually told me this earlier, just sort of brought it up. Jeff Bezos graduated Princeton or went to Princeton. You don't think Jeff Bezos could put 50 mil down to recruit, like, the greatest basketball team we've ever seen for 10 years? Like, that could absolutely happen. I don't know. I don't know. You think Kevin Love and Russ West join together, put a bunch of money into UCLA? Could happen. Let's move on, though. I feel like I've made my point in terms of the teams that are really going to benefit from this new um, policy. Let's talk about the players, though. Just a couple, I guess a couple of questions. Which, obviously, the signing bonus thing I brought up earlier, like, can you just sort of pay a guy a lump sum when he comes in to campus? The other one, can you do the same thing? Can you give, like, a lump sum payout prior to the draft based on, like, your draft projection? So, like, when you're still enrolled in school, but, you know, after the season, after your college career is done, your final draft projections... Can they pay you based on your draft projections? Like, if, if you're a first-round pick, they pay you 1.5 mil for your time there. And, like, if you're a second-rounder, you get 1.2. If you're a third-rounder, you get 900K. And if you go undrafted, you don't get paid? I don't know. That's That, was, that would be something that would have to be explicitly outlawed. I think the one takeaway I really have for the players is we'll quickly learn who the real stars of college are in terms of not the stars in terms of producing wins or talent, but who the fans enjoy the most. Because we will quickly see which players get the sponsorships. We'll know which players 
are tweeted about the most, which players generate the most clicks. Advertisers, their data is better than almost anybody. Those marketing people know how to collect and analyze data. So we will be learning very quickly who the stars in college are. How far does it go? That's the real question. How far does this all go? What regulations is the NCAA able to put in? What is the government going to be doing? How far does it go, though? How far can you go with these players? What can you offer a guy? Can you offer him, like, what entails a sponsorship? Like, can you, can you give him a house? Can you give him a car? Can you give him $5 million in a, in a day? <laughs> can, you start, can you start a guy a shoe line? Like, not even like a pro, like I mentioned earlier, you probably can't go into the pros. Can you start a guy a shoe line for while he's in college? That's it? Why not? It's something that will have to be explicitly outlawed. Um, and, I mean, <laughs> until we see the the legislation from the NCAA, all we can do is speculate. And if there's one thing I can do, it is speculate. Um, that's all I've got for y'all, though. I thought this was a really interesting release by the NCAA. I got a lot out of it. I hope y'all got something out of this podcast, especially those of y'all who aren't big-time college sports fans. Even those of y'all that I know are, like, just just NBA fans. This affects the college basketball prospects coming into the league more than anyone, really. Those are going to be the most coveted assets in college I could imagine, although we'll see. It might just be a thing where we see the sports even more divided because to get a football star, unless the years, so the years in terms of basketball players having to play one year, football players having to play three years, unless that changes, it is much more valuable to get a football player in for three years than a basketball player in for one year. Though you could argue having the top line star in basketball makes you more likely to win a title than adding that same caliber star in football. But what makes the most sense to me is that what would end up happening is that a school like Kansas just stops. It it, it just, just doesn't really put real sponsorship money into football. It just puts a ton into basketball. Like they don't go out and hire less miles and try to actually compete in football anymore. They go all out and they get the best sponsorships for their basketball players. And as far as Clemson, Clemson's not going to compete in the ACC anymore. <laughs> no, not unless Brownell is just able to work with, uh, he's able to do more with less, which Brownell has done well um, in his tenure as a coach. Brownell's great. Brownell's a, a great coach, a great guy. His team in the international competition this summer was awesome. Obviously, to be able to lead a bunch of guys over there, you know that's something special. Just, I, I, I think, overall, though, this is going to be the biggest thing in college sports the next five years at least. I mean, we'll see. We'll see how quickly this really gets implemented, how hard it's fought on each side, who is, like, really exploited by this, who is really gaining from it where the loopholes are. There's just so many questions to ask. I've gone on long enough, though. I'm going to let you all go. Thanks for sticking with me, as always. It was a pleasure. This is an awesome topic, and I cannot wait to talk about it later. All right, thanks, y'all. I'll talk to you next time. 
です。